Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. We're back with another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And we're going to continue our discussion about ideas and people who inspire us. It makes you humble when you realize that you can't take credit for all the good things that go on in your life. And what we're trying to do now is just recognize some of these people and ideas that made us who we are. I see articles all the time and chapters in books and not just, you know, related to our profession, the legal profession talks about, you know, what makes a good trial lawyer, what allows people to succeed in business. There's talent and intelligence and preparation and all of these things, which you need a little of everything, I think, to be successful. We've talked already about the importance of luck, of being born into the right family and the right community and having people just happen to be at the right place in the right time. But that's not enough, right? Because good things don't just happen. We make our own luck, at least to some extent, through hard work and not quitting. And so I know this idea that you, you can't just sit there and let good things happen. You aren't going to get anywhere unless you, you know, row the boat, row hard. And I know that's a big part of who you are, John, in, in your firm. It's wonderful having good teachers and good parents and good mentors, but, you know, it's still up to you what you do with it. What do you do with that information that you're given? When somebody sets a good example for you, what do you do as a result of that? You really need to take advantage of it. I know a lot of attorneys and people in general who didn't have the advantages that I have in terms of a good family and good mentors, and they still have been tremendously successful. It's a wonderful, good thing to have, and we're lucky to have good mentors and good family and good teachers, but it's not the end-all, be-all. People will say, okay, well, what makes a good trial lawyer or just an attorney, a good attorney? And there are a lot of qualities, but I will tell you, I think the one quality that I see that is common to almost every successful trial lawyer that I know, without exception, is persistence, determination. It's sort of a, an inner drive, a determination, not wanting to quit, having the passion to keep doing whatever it takes to get the job done. Occasionally, that's not enough, right? You get knocked down. And so the, the word grit often refers to the fact that when you're knocked down, you get back up. Same thing. You keep trying. You keep at it. I wrote you one time a couple of years ago and I said, I'm really struggling with a case. And I think that's exactly what you told me. You said, keep pushing or something like that. Don't give up. Keep pushing. That was your only advice to me. It was good. I just had to get back in there. I've told other attorneys in the firm when they're working on a case and things aren't turning out as well as they thought, or they find some things that we didn't know about. And I tell them, look, there's three things that can happen in that case. We can try it and win it, try it and lose it or resolve it. And all three of those it's better if it happens sooner rather than later. <laughs> you know, so it's better for the client, better for us. Win, lose, draw, whatever it is, let's keep pushing and let's get it done sooner rather than later. It's interesting that we can be inspired by these ideas in the abstract, but there's something about cinema, the theater, that presents these images in terms of a fictional character that can mean a lot to us. We can embrace these characters and these images and these narratives from movies and I know you have a few movies that you've talked to me about before. Maybe you can mention a few of those. Yeah, you know, one of the things, you talk about what inspires you. Obviously, it's people you work with, people you grew up with. But, you know, I get inspiration also from movies, from movie scenes, from uh, songs. I've gotten inspiration from songs, basically, you know, poetry. There's a scene in the movie Dances with Wolves. 
And that's a movie, I think it came out in 1990. It's Kevin Costner is the star. And it has to do with perseverance, you know, just this drive, this not giving up, not letting anything defeat you. And there's a scene where Kevin Costner, if you've seen the movie, he's out on an army post way, way out west in the wilderness. He's absolutely all by himself, hundreds of miles from anybody else. And the Indians are sort of toying with him and they're coming in and doesn't know if they're friendly or not. They're going to attack him. And, and there's this one Indian in the tribe who is, you know, the tough guy. And Kevin Costner in the scene is, is standing there with his pistol pointed right at this Indian. And the Indian has, doesn't have a gun, has a spear. And he just marches up, you know, flies in on this horse with the spear up. And he starts yelling at him in his native language. Can you see I'm not afraid of you? Can you just see, like he's, he's riding his horse right into the face of a gun. I mean, all the guy's got to do is pull the trigger and kill him. This is a guy who is facing death. He's willing to ride up to his enemy and face death. And I think, hell, all I'm doing is working on cases. But that always inspires me to have that kind of passion for what you're doing. And when you have somebody on the, on the other side of anything with that drive and that determination, that's really something. Yeah, but have you ever eaten 50 eggs? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke. And I don't know if many of our listeners have seen the movie. Uh, it was a, quite a while ago. I, actually, the movie came out when I was very young, maybe five, six years old. It's a movie starring Paul Newman. In the movie, he gets sentenced to time in jail, I think a couple years for something that he did. And at some point, he gets in a fight with George Kennedy. Now, if any of you have seen the movie or you know George Kennedy, George Kennedy was about two times the size of Paul Newman, big, strong guy. And they get in this fight. The way they solve their problems in the prison is if you fight with another inmate, what the warden does is it puts boxing gloves on you, puts you both you know, outside in a circle. The men get in a circle and just fight it out. You got a problem with somebody, you get to beat the hell out of each other. And whoever wins, wins. And that takes care of the problem. And so Newman is out there with George Kennedy in this scene and just getting beat to hell. I mean, he doesn't have a chance. George Kennedy is, is hurting him so bad and hitting him, he just doesn't even want to hit him anymore. And Paul Newman is about half dead, can barely take a swing, barely stand up, and he just won't stay down. He keeps getting knocked down, he gets back up. He gets knocked down, he gets back up. And at one point, I think he says something like, you're going to have to kill me because he just keeps getting up. And you see that and you think about the drive and the determination. And again, those are the extremes, these examples. They're inspiring, no question. But that's really the quality that I see almost in every really good trial lawyer is this persistence, this determination, this, this inner drive, you know, not wanting to quit. And I'll tell you this, think about what we do. It's a battle. It's a fight. Somebody wins, somebody loses and you keep getting hit. I mean, if you're doing what we're doing day in and day out, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit hard. You're going to get hit often and you got to take the hits and keep coming. And if that one hit's going to throw you off balance and back you up, you're going to have trouble. I mean, you really need to learn, as Paul Newman shows us, to take the hits and keep coming back. John, have you ever seen the Shackleton Expedition documentary? I have. I would add this to Cool Hand Luke and your other examples. Back in 1912, Shackleton decided he was going to explore the Antarctic. He took 27 men on a wooden ship. And for those who haven't seen this, well, I'm going to spoil it. It's been around for a long time. It was one of the strongest ships ever built, made of oak, indestructible. 
And as soon as I say that, you know what's going to happen. It got trapped in the ice and the ice absolutely crushed the ship and left 27 men standing on the ice in Antarctica with a couple lifeboats. And it is one of the best examples I can think of, of endurance and perseverance. Toward the end, Shackleton and a few others hop into a lifeboat, rig a sail on it, and travel 800 miles trying to find a little whaling outpost in order to try to get help. That's an inspiration to me. Uh, that's, that's my version of Cool Hand Luke. What a great movie, and it's also an inspiration for me. And Eric, you left out the name of the ship was? Endurance. The Endurance. So what a great movie. There's a, uh, another variation on that. It's one thing to come back, but it's really inspiring to watch good attorneys get better when they get hit. And I know you've seen this where someone just got hit with, a, you know, metaphorically speaking, a left hook in front of the court, and then they come back with more. And it's even better. And it makes you think, wow, that's really awesome that someone can think on their feet. And you can't just do it viscerally, right? You can't just get angry and bad things can come out of your mouth. It's one of my favorite moments to watch somebody look like they just got trashed and then they come back. They're actually better now. When we're talking about the qualities that make good trial lawyers, you need a little of everything. I mean, it's not just one thing. I, I could think of a terrible situation where you're very passionate and determined and persistent, but you're heading in the wrong direction. You need to be passionate about something that you're right on. You need to pick your battles, as they say. It's not all inner drive and gung-ho. You got to have some thought, <laughs> add some thought and common sense to it. And sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot of that. You know, sometimes it's figuring out what the other side's arguing and embracing it, you know, embracing it and taking advantage of it. Yeah. Sometimes it's not a matter of just having some smart stuff inspire you at the moment, a lot of the times it's preparation. So you are already armed with reasons B, C, and D when A is not enough. Preparation is part of the perseverance, you know, just getting ready for the battle. A good quality is, is preparation, hard work, but you have to have that inner drive to succeed. You really do. And you know what, Eric, that probably applies not just in what we do, but in anything, whether you're an actor, an actress, you know, a sports figure, a business person, running a business. I mean, you got to learn how to take hits and bounce back. You wrote an article as the president of the local bar on some of your favorite sayings. I think there were five of them. So one of them is, you are always learning. Let's talk about that. By that, I mean, you need to think long term. And almost everything we work on day to day, we're learning something. It's a new legal issue. It's a you know new medical issue. It's a new procedural issue. And when you figure it out, you're actually educating yourself. I see situations as a young lawyer where I was handed something that was very complex, all balled up, complicated legal issues you had to sort out. I always thought about that as an investment in myself. Literally, I'm getting paid to learn and get better. When I say you're always learning, stay open to new ideas. I worked at a firm years ago, and my boss there We'd get in a, in a discussion about whether we wanted to take a case. And of course, he wasn't going to be the one working on it. I was going to be the one working on the case. And some of these cases, I thought, just weren't good cases. And we'd get in an argument about whether we should take the case or not. And he would always look at me and say, John, tough cases make good lawyers. That was his response. Tough cases make good lawyers. And then finally, later on, as I, as I got older and a little more experienced, my response would be, good cases make great lawyers. That sort of sticks with me because I am always learning. You know, I've been practicing for a while, and there's not a day that I don't learn something. 
that also makes it not just challenging, but it makes it satisfying. I mean, can we imagine having a job where you get up and you do the same thing every day, the same thing, whether it's on a weekly basis or daily or whatever it is. Boy, I, I just don't know that I'd be very good at that or stick around long enough to see. The term compounding is often referred to the financial realm. You're making money on your money, but it also applies to what we do, that we learn and then we get to do the next thing on the basis of what we already knew, plus this new thing that we just learned. And this goes through a whole career and it includes the things that a lot of people would call bad things. In other words, a bad result or mistake, something you wish you'd done better in a trial or in preparing for a trial and a deposition, you didn't ask a question. Those things really stick and they become the basis for new knowledge and you get to take that forward. So this part about always learning, those lessons stick the most with me. I'm an adjunct at St. Louis University School of Law. When I start the sentence by saying, I did something that did not work, it really messed up my case, or it was, it, I wish I hadn't done it. That's when everybody's looking at you. They, they want to know what you did that you're not happy about. It's a much deeper lesson, usually, when you learn something that did not work. That's part of you're always learning. You, you need to learn from your mistakes too. For our younger listeners out there, and by younger, I mean maybe practicing, you know, five, six years and under, I've always thought, how long do you need to be practicing before you finally get it? In other words, you got it. You're confident. You know what you're doing. And I think one way to look at that is the first few years you practice. It might be two years, depending on where you're at. It might be five years. It might be 10 years. You learn how to do things. In other words, tasks. You learn how to take a deposition. You learn how to prepare for a deposition, prep a witness, draft a brief, argue a motion, draft written discovery, meet with a client. You learn all of these pieces. But what you need to get to is you need to learn not how to do things, but what needs to be done. And I think once you master that, once you figure it out, not just uh, how do you do this, how do you do that, but where are we going? What's the long-term plan? What's the solution? What is our goal? And then to be able to strategize and how do we get there? That's really the key. And I got to tell you, I, I was practicing sometime, maybe probably six, seven years before I felt really comfortable being able to take a case from the beginning and knowing or feeling as if, you know, whatever happens, whatever comes up, I know what to do. I know how to respond. I know things like, do we need an expert? Where should the case be filed? How to deal with settlement negotiations or, or, or the attorney on the other side of the case? What discovery do we want? Who are you going to name as a defendant? Who are you not going to name as a defendant? I always compare it to building a house, you know, what we do. And that is, you might learn how to lay bricks. You learn how to paint. You learn how to cut angles and nail boards together, put a roof on. But you need to get to a point in your practice where you can figure out what you want that house to look like and what are all the different things that need to be done to get it to look like that. In other words, the design of the house, putting the whole package together. And so when you're working on something that is bogging you down and it seems very overly difficult or complex, it really is training. I mean, it's not just the substantive stuff, but it's training you to analyze issues. It's training you to figure out the answer. I got news for everybody too. You know, if, as I said, if you've been practicing two or three years, whatever problems you are having now, whatever you're being confronted with, I can almost promise you in five years, you're going to look back at what your 
struggling with today and laugh about it. Okay. Meaning we're problem solvers. That's what we're asked to do. We solve problems and problems only get more complex and tougher as you advance in your career. And so what you need to do is you need to learn how to handle the ones in front of you and do that well before you can move on to something a little more difficult. It'd be great if we remembered everything that we learned. And so an addendum to that rule that you're always learning is, for me anyway, it's I'm always relearning. You know, there's things that keep coming up and I go, oh yeah, I've, see, I've seen that. And that reminds me. And one of those lessons is don't take the bait. You know, if, like there's always all kinds of people who want to, you know, maybe insult you or maybe you just have a bad ruling or whatever. And you want to just stay on task. If you stay on task, you think about your plan before you go in and don't let people take you off that path. And if something bad happens, your mind, if you're not careful, will start chattering at you. You get this monkey mind like, oh, no, this shouldn't have happened. What am I going to say next? And you got to calm that. Just say, that's not useful. You know, what's my plan? What am I supposed to do? What is my task here? What am I supposed to prove? And and keep it all tidy about what, what you're there for. But there's, there's many, many variations of this where you can fall off your game by something surprising happening. It's not what happens to you. It's how you react to it. That's what I think. Working up a case from beginning to end, trying it, putting on witnesses. It's like trying to stand up in a canoe crossing a, a lake. <laughs> If you got a checklist and, okay, here's my plan and I'm not changing this plan, you're not going to make it halfway across that lake because people are going to be throwing oars at you and splashing water on you and throwing rocks at you. I guess that's probably a better analogy. It's, it's like doing what we do is like standing up in a canoe and trying to cross a lake while people are throwing rocks at you. Okay. That's, that's probably a better analogy. So you need to be nimble. You need to be flexible. You need to respond and you need to respond promptly and quickly. And here's the thing. You don't know all of that when you're starting. And the only way you're going to learn that is by going through difficult situations and coming out on top, handling a difficult situation, working your way through it, figuring out what the best avenue is for you. And then you get to a point where you've been through enough of those that pretty much everything you see is, is some variation of what you've already seen before. I know for a fact that you spend a lot of your energy on marketing. You want the world to know what your firm does. And you've often said something like this, that the best marketing is doing a good job out there. And that leads to our second saying, you're always auditioning. What's your reaction to that? What I mean by that is we're faced with sometimes a lot of difficult situations. It's confrontational. I mean, it's just the nature of the profession. You're arguing emotion. You got three or four lawyers arguing, no, you know, you're wrong. It's not this. They're misinterpreting the case. These aren't what the facts are. Think about how many times during a given day you are in front of a judge for the first or second time, or how many times during a day you're on the phone with or sending an email to or meeting with an attorney or local counsel in a new case that you really have not spent a lot of time with. What I have found over the years is that first time you deal with another lawyer, the first time you are in front of a judge, that's golden time for you. That's why I see you're always auditioning. You know, it's the whole thing about you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. If you're arguing a motion in front of a judge, you're going to be in front of that judge for 15 minutes on average, say 15, 20 minutes. Be well prepared, be polite, be respectful, make a great impression know the topic inside and out, read the cases, provide copies of the cases to the other judge. It's relatively easy to make a good impression 
on a judge during a motion. You're only in front of him or her for 15 minutes. Same with attorneys. The first deposition that you have or the first motion that you have in a case with opposing counsel that you're not familiar with, it's a great opportunity to make a good impression. And by that, I mean, be respectful, be polite, don't be rude. I had a telephone conversation yesterday in a case where I have a hearing tomorrow and it's a bunch of discovery disputes. And I got on the phone yesterday with an attorney I've known for 30 years and he's a good friend and he's a great lawyer, just terrific lawyer. He got on the phone and probably within 15 minutes, we resolved all but one of the discovery disputes. And it was boom, 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 all business, getting them done. To me, that's the way it should be. We're not giving up anything. I think we did what was you know right and correct. But being able to be reasonable, working things out, it's the old saying, being able to disagree without being disagreeable. What happens when you do that? Well, you get a good reputation. The attorney on the other side is going to give you the benefit of the doubt the next time you're, you deal with them. I mean, I've had attorneys who I've met for the first time. And they appear to be reasonable. They know the case law. They're well prepared. You know, the next time I'm dealing with them, I've got a very high opinion of that lawyer. If that lawyer tells me something, I'd take their word for it. If you're in front of a court and you need to concede something, do it. Concede it. Don't go up arguing an issue that you know isn't correct. And, and that'll really give you a lot of goodwill in front of that judge in, you know, many times in the future. So, That's what I mean when I say you're always auditioning. People are always figuring you out. We spend as much time thinking about who's handling the other case than as much as we do the case. Who's the attorney on the other side? What's our experience with that attorney? The attorneys that are the toughest, the toughest attorneys, in my opinion, are the ones that are ethical, honest, real straightforward. And they're tough because when they say something, everybody listens. When they say something in court, the judge listens to what they have to say. There's a term in biology called expensive signaling, which refers to the fact that you can yap all you want all day long about how good you are, but the the best advertising is to go out and do the job, do it well. And I know both of us have been very fortunate to, you know, displaying what we do by just doing it, trying to do it well. And then occasionally somebody will come up and say, hey, I'd like to work with you on a case or something of that sort. I think it happened to you once. Weren't you cross-examining a neurosurgeon? who then later hired you to represent him. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, it was at trial. And, you know, and that's another thing. We didn't even mention that. It's the benefits are not just doing a better job for your client, but I've gotten cases from experts on the other side. And the other thing, too, it's your reputation, and that's the most important thing that you have. I mean, it's, it's really one of the only things you have truly in our profession is you got your reputation, and you should do everything you can to protect that at all costs. There might be a temptation when you're talking to a judge for the first time to spin the facts a little bit to make it look like you you got the better position. And that's a bad idea. And I have been always gratified if I give an even-handed presentation of what's going on. I give credit to the other attorney, let the judge know that there's some good arguments on the other side, set the table in an even way, and it pays off. I've noticed this several times over the years where the judge will then have a question about the case, about maybe a neutral fact. And I watch to see who they're looking at when they ask that question. And I take it as a great compliment that they trust you because you gave an even-handed presentation to begin with. So that's another way to audition. That's auditioning with your credibility. That's, that's showing a judge that you can be credible. You just need to remember that everybody is, is formulating opinions about you every time you open your mouth, no matter what you're doing or where you're at. And you, and you just need to be aware of that, I think. Our next saying is something I think we've already 
discussed pretty well, keep pushing forward. I don't know if there's anything else to say about this other than there's just no alternative. Yeah. And you know what, Eric, once you get moving, you got to keep going. And part of it is, as I was saying before at the last session, three things can happen in a case. You can win it, you can lose it, or you can settle it. And uh, I want all three of those things to happen sooner rather than later. (laughs) If you've got a bad case or it's getting worse or the facts aren't what you thought they were, guess what? You're way, way better off getting that thing to trial and moving it than hanging on to it for another six months. So just whatever it is, whoever's throwing those rocks at you, just keep paddling and get across that lake. The next thing is something I've heard you say dozens of times. You often say, it's all good. So I'll, I'll be the foil. John, it's not all good, right? Well, you know, Eric, it, it's, it's not all bad, I should say. Okay. I agree with you on that. That's see, I'm being reasonable. I'm agreeing with you. It's not all good all the time, but it's never all bad. And, and maybe that's a better way to say it. You get upset because you didn't get a case. Somebody else got that case. Well, you know what? Maybe it was better for you not to get that case. Okay. A motion for summary judgment is granted against you on part of the case or part of the claim or maybe the whole case. A lot of times it probably wasn't your strongest claim because, you know, obviously it's a subject of a motion for summary judgment. A lot of times I think the court might be doing you a favor. You know, I'll tell you something else. Perfect example, Eric. I had a case. It was a two, two and a half week trial. It was a med mal case in the city of St. Louis. And there was some, a non-disclosure issue on the last day of trial with the last witness. And it was pretty egregious. There were records in the case that had not been turned over. And I got the defendant to admit that on the stand, that records had been missing. And I just lost it. And 10, 15 minutes later, we're at the sidebar, and I'm asking for a mistrial. And by every right, I, I thought I should have been given a mistrial. I think most judges may have given me a mistrial in the case. And I didn't get it. The judge calmed us all down and did a great job. And made a very reasoned decision and let the case play out. And it turned out the very next day, we got a really, really nice result in that case, a nice verdict. And I saw the judge at a, at a function later and I said, thank you. Thank you, Your Honor, for doing me the favor of not granting. Had the sanction been granted, it would have been issue on appeal. And it was a circumstance where I was very emotional about it. I didn't have time to think, and it was in the heat of battle. And the judge, despite my urging, did what was best for me, ruled against me and helped me. You need to learn to embrace the good in what seems like bad. Whatever happens, it's a two-edged sword and mostly what we do, a fact comes in. You know, It helps on some issue, hurts on another issue. So whatever happens, you need to try to figure out, instead of getting all worked up and bent out of shape because it happened, and then you're emotional and you lose your concentration and your ability to think, you right away need to think, okay, this happened, I didn't want it to happen. It's bad. What advantage is there for me now that there wasn't before? How can I use this to my advantage? And that's really what you're going to be thinking. We don't have hindsight. We don't have the big picture overall. I'll tell you another one. You know, I had a case many years ago. I think it was year 2000 that I tried and it was going really well. And at the end of that case, it was probably a two week trial. The defense attorney who I knew very well, came up to me, started out as a no-offer case, and they had made offers throughout the trial and were done with the evidence. And he came up to me and said, John, my client has seen the light. They offered us our demand. They offered us our demand that we made in the beginning of the case. 
And then, you know, it took them two weeks to get there and, and all of these witnesses. And my client, God bless him, I went out and got in a conference room and talked to him. And he said, I sat through this whole trial. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to settle it. And I honestly thought he was making the wrong decision. I didn't push him too much, but I explained what I thought and described it's a sure thing. It's not, I understand you think it went well, but we're uncertain about it. And he said, you're wrong to me. We're not going to settle this case. And I said, I've been doing this a lot longer than you. You know, this is the first time you sat through a trial. I'm here to counsel you. That's what you're paying me to do. And I'm telling you, you need to seriously consider doing the for sure thing and wrapping this up. Okay. And he just wouldn't have it. He said, nope, I've made up my mind and this is what we're going to do. And so against his attorney's best advice, he said no. And that turned out to be the largest verdict that I've ever gotten in any case, even to this day. I could have gone in and banged the table and gotten all upset and angry. And I didn't. I thought, well, this is an opportunity. But anyway, when I say it's all good, I'll agree with you, Eric. We should change that a little bit. I'll start saying it's not all bad. John, I was just having fun with you. I think what I take from that is that you're saying, essentially, here's how I interpret it. This is life. What do you expect? You're an attorney. You're in a dangerous situation. There's things that can go wrong. And, but that's part of what you embrace. That's your profession. So to think that there are bad things that are going on, no, this is, this is your career. This is what to expect. What kind of lawyer would you be if you expected that everything would work out right when you go into trial and all the witnesses say the right things and the jurors will always give you awards? I think there's people I know who are afraid. They live in fear. They see the world as a dangerous place where things go wrong. And I don't think that's healthy. And I think it is much healthier to take the other road where the world is full of challenges and sometimes they go right and sometimes they don't go the way you want, but that's part of what you signed up for. And I think that's a, a big difference in attitude that can make it a lot better to go to work when you think, this is what we do. We, we try our best. So I just think it's an important thing to keep in mind that when you say it's all good, I, I sense that this is who we are and we do our best and there's snakes along the hiking trail and there's things that we have to deal with, right? But that's, that's just what we signed up for. And when we learn lessons, sometimes we stumble, and this is what we do. Eric, very well put. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) So we hope you've enjoyed our uh, conversation regarding people and ideas who have inspired us. That wraps up episode two. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time on The Jury Is Out. This is Eric Veith. This is John Simon. Thanks again for joining us. See you next time. The Jury is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And if you want a lively look at life and law from a female attorney's point of view, check out our Heels in the Courtroom podcast and subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning. Stop learning.